We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Away we go, episode 124 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021, what is an official cutdown day in the NFL. Did you know that? Each NFL team must reduce its roster from 90 to 85 players by 4 p.m. Eastern today. Next Tuesday, August 24th, each NFL team has to be down to 80 players by 4 p.m. Eastern, and then the following Tuesday, August 31st, is the cutdown to 53, each NFL team having to be down to 53 players by 4 p.m. Eastern. Our team, the Washington football team, did release three players on Sunday, including Kelvin Harmon, who might be next, and who might be added. You got to think about that, right? Who, in terms of cuts from other NFL teams, might be appealing to Washington. Hello and welcome to another installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only DC sports podcast or show that is here for you every weekday, Monday through Friday by 5 a.m. Although I must alert you to a scheduling change for this week because the Washington football team's second preseason game is this Friday. Washington hosts the Cincinnati Bengals Friday night at 8 and also because the Nationals don't play on Thursday. What I'm going to do for this week is not do a show for Friday, but do a show for Saturday. Everybody got that? All right, mark that in your smartphones, okay? Write that in your day calendar if people still keep day calendars. Actually, my wife still has a day calendar, a scheduling book. I'm not sure why. She's on her phone constantly. Anyway, no show for Friday, but a show for Saturday I just think that that makes a lot more sense, especially with the Washington football team having a preseason game on Friday night. I would feel silly doing a show for Friday and then not doing one until Monday. And the game happens on Friday night. And by the time you get to Monday, it's like, well, the game is almost a distant memory at that point. Now, I could do a show for Friday and a show for Saturday, but I'd rather have an off day in there because there is going to be a dual birthday party at the Galdi household this Saturday. Yes. You see, our two kids were born within days of each other, three years apart, but the two birthdays are very close together. We did not do this on purpose. Trust me. People think that I did this on purpose because like, I'm very routine-oriented. I promise you I did not. Uh, but our son was born on August 23rd. He's turning four. Our daughter was born on August 20th. She's turning one. So yes, there will be a dual birthday party. What will happen? I don't know. How will it go? I don't know. But in an effort to prepare for the party, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, legally, 
Uh, no show for Friday, but a show for Saturday, especially with the WFT playing on Friday night. So I did want to let you know about that. But in the meantime, and in between time, we have a lot to discuss on this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We on Monday got quite the tease from the Washington football team regarding the new name, a video that features what you are led to believe are three name candidates, perhaps the three final name candidates being bleeped out. This might be the ultimate tape study ever. What were Jason Wright and Ron Rivera saying? Which three name candidates were said? Were those even three name candidates? We'll explore the next segment. I mentioned Ron Rivera, a.k.a. Don Ron. Uh, Boy, did he open up to Albert Breer of the MMQB and SI.com. Ron sounding off on the COVID-19 vaccine situation in this country and also providing new details on his battle with cancer, including something that I believe sheds further light on the benching of Dwayne Haskins after week four of last season. Want to discuss that. I also have for you a full report on Monday's Washington football team practice. We will go in-depth on everything that mattered from that practice. What was a practice in the rain? What was a practice in which Ryan Fitzpatrick did well? What was a practice in which Benjamin St. Juice made maybe the best single play that anyone has made so far at the Washington football team's 2021 training camp? And you will hear Ron talk Fitzpatrick Kyle Allen, St. Juice, Kendall Fuller, William Jackson III, the Dustin Hopkins situation, and more. Also, I will talk Nationals and Orioles, especially with both the Nats and O's being brutal this season. Something very significant came out on Monday. Baseball America's rankings of all 30 farm systems. The Orioles ranking was a lot better than the Nationals ranking, but each team per Baseball America now has four of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Some reason for hope as each team is in the midst of a sizable losing streak. Nats have lost seven straight. They did not play on Monday. The Orioles, though, they now have lost 12 straight. They did play on Monday, and they got crushed again, a 9-2 loss at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays on Monday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast. If you would like for the power of the pod to work for you, to grow your business or practice, especially as we approach football season, hit us up, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael Lindsay, writes Michael, I continue to enjoy the podcast and remain a faithful daily listener. Thank you, Michael. He continues, the theme song and episode count have grown on me, parentheses, smile. I also love your mantra of sorts and away we go gets the blood running. Well, very good. Thank you, Michael. Continues, Michael. I always wondered what became of Nick Sundberg. Did he retire or was he outright released? Hard to believe he was let go for performance reasons. I don't ever recall seeing him muff a snap. Rivera seemed to point to other reasons for the missed field goal attempts in the Pats game. Dustin Hopkins should be on a short leash, but might his woes in preseason games be a matter of the snapper? If so, how? Well, all very good questions, Michael. And in fact, a good number of those questions are going to be answered later on in this installment of the podcast because Ron, at his post-practice press conference on Monday, went in-depth on the operational issue for Washington's kicking game right now. And that's the way that Ron has depicted this, an operational issue. He's talked about how, hey, you have a new long snapper, and so they got to get the timing down. They got to get the operation down. The big difference, though, between Nick Sundberg and Cameron Cheeseman, the new long snapper, aka the Cheeseman, is that Cheeseman snaps with fierce velocity. And I think that Tressway, the holder, and Dustin Hopkins, the kicker, are getting used to that. But let's be honest here, okay? It doesn't matter what the velocity is of the long snapper. Dustin Hopkins has to make more field goals. And Dustin Hopkins has been an inconsistent field goal kicker. And if you haven't heard it yet, I would urge you to listen to my Dustin Hopkins segment on Monday's show, episode 123. I did a deep dive on Dustin Hopkins, his tenure as Washington's kicker, and how Dustin Hopkins compares on field goals to the rest of the NFL during Dustin's time with Washington. So I think it's kind of a good sobering look at, hey, 
We think certain things, but what actually is the truth about Dustin Hopkins? Has he maybe been better than we think, or has he perhaps been worse than we think? And spoiler alert, he's been below league average, both in terms of overall field goal accuracy and field goal accuracy on field goals of at least 40 yards. Now, I don't take into account kicking indoors versus kicking outdoors. That is a key thing to look at when it comes to kickers, and I will grant you that. That is a flaw in my methodology. But just for the purposes of putting together a segment, I thought it was something worth looking at. And Dustin Hopkins is below league average in both overall field goals and field goals of at least 40 yards. Now, Dustin Hopkins is excellent on kickoffs. Uh, I think the team really likes Dustin Hopkins. Clearly, the team likes Dustin Hopkins. The guy has been Washington's kicker since September 2015, but he's got to be better on his field goals. I don't care who the long snapper is. He's got to make his kicks, and he obviously didn't do that in that preseason opening loss at the New England Patriots last Thursday night. In terms of Nick Sundberg, he's out of the NFL right now. And I would presume that if another team came calling, he'd be open to long snapping for that team. I mean, that's money that you're probably not going to ever make again in terms of doing some other job. But the way this went down was this past March 17th, Sundberg announced that he had been told that he was no longer in Washington's plan. Sundberg tweeted the following that day. Again, March 17th, quote, unfortunately, coach informed me that I'm not in the plans moving forward. I understand this is a business, but I'm still sad to close this long chapter with the Washington football team. I look forward to the next opportunity in my career, wherever that may be. See you on Sundays, end quote. So for now, Nick Sundberg is out there, but I agree with you, Michael. I don't recall ever really noticing Nick Sundberg's long snaps, which is a good thing. That means he's doing a good job. Nick Sundberg was Washington's long snapper for 11 seasons, 2010 through 2020. Think about all that encompasses. All four years of Mike Shanahan's tenure as Washington's head coach, the entirety of Jay Gruden's tenure as Washington's head coach, the portion of time for which Bill Callahan was Washington's interim head coach, and the first season for which Ron Rivera was Washington's head coach. You know, Sunberg was a warrior. I'll never forget Nick Sunberg continuing to play despite having suffered a broken left arm in the 40-32 win at the New Orleans Saints in week one of the 2012 season. But Nick Sunberg is gone. I mean, one of the clear takeaways from this past offseason is that Ron Rivera wants his guys. And if you're not one of his guys, it doesn't necessarily doom you, but that's not something working in your favor. And for whatever reason, Ron no longer viewed Nick Sundberg as one of Ron's guys. Cameron Cheeseman is one of Ron's guys. You will hear later in this show, Ron Rivera staunchly defend the cheese man. Ron is sticking by the cheese man. And Ron, for now anyway, is sticking by Dustin Hopkins. But I do think this Friday night's preseason game against Cincinnati at FedEx Field is a big spot for Dustin Hopkins. It's not often we say that, right? A second preseason game, someone is really under pressure. But I do think that Dustin Hopkins is under pressure. I mean, imagine if this Friday night, he goes 0 for 2 on field goals again. Is Ron going to still stick by Hopkins then? Is this still not going to be a concern then? I don't think so. You know, Ron did admit at one point last regular season, he was thinking of replacing Dustin Hopkins as Washington kicker. Ron said that the day after the 30-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week 10. So I know Dustin Hopkins has been here forever, but he's not immune to being gone, okay? Just because you're here for a while doesn't mean that you're going to be here forever. In fact, you can ask Nick Sundberg about that. All right, so we on Monday had not necessarily news in the name saga for the Washington football team, but a potential development in the name saga for the Washington football team. The last real update that we had in the name saga was Washington football team president Jason Wright telling Washington football team insider Ben Standig of the Athletic DC in June, and then telling Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post in July that the team's permanent name will be revealed in early 2022. We also had the Washington football team on August 4th announcing updated stadium policies and protocols for games and events at FedEx Field for this coming season. Among the items that Native American-inspired ceremonial headdresses and face paint no longer allowed to be worn into FedEx Field. Well, we on Monday got the following. So the Washington football team has been astutely using the name change as a marketing tool. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's actually clever to do that, right? Take something that in a lot of ways is a negative and try to turn it into a positive. One of the means by which the team is using the name change as a marketing tool 
is the YouTube series, Making the Brand. Yes, the Washington football team has a YouTube series about the name change. Now you know what you're going to watch tonight. Uh, Anyway, episode three of Making the Brand came out on Monday. What you see in episode three is Jason Wright discussing potential new names and logos with Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew in a sit-down meeting. And at the end of the video, which is only about three minutes long, Jason says to Ron and Martin, quote, so the three that will go through are, end quote, and then the major words that Jason says after that are bleeped out. So the three, presumably, are three names. You also see in here Ron and Jason each saying that he really likes one of the names. Here's how this sounds. So the, th- the three that will go through are... I like, I really like, that's really good. All right. And that's essentially how the video ends. So you are left with quite the tease. And of course, Washington football team Twitter ate this up and had a field day with trying to figure out what were the names that were bleeped out. Uh, The marketing tool that is this YouTube series worked to perfection on Monday. Jake Russell of the Washington Post noted that the bleeps for the three names don't seem to be long enough for one of the names to be Washington football team. This is the level of granular detail that the examinations of the video were taken to, measuring the lengths of the bleeps. Although, as I have said, I now don't think that Washington football team is the contender for permanent name that a lot of other people think that it is. But if you really want to do some detective work, think about this. Jason saying to Ron and Martin, quote, so the three that will go through are, end quote, And then the actual names that Jason says being bleeped out, are those three things even three actual names? Like, we can't be sure of that. The implication clearly is that the three are three names, but we can't be positive about that. Maybe the three are three logos for one name. Like, we just don't know. If the three are, in fact, three names, are those three names the three finalists? Or are those three names just three potential names? Maybe in that sit-down, Jason, Ron, and Martin talked about, you know, 15 different names, and they were just talking about three in that moment, and that's what was used for the tease at the end of the video. You also see in here Ron and Jason each saying that he really likes one of what are presumably three names, but does each guy really like the same name? We can't be sure of that. You have no idea how this video was edited. There are a lot of questions that you can ask, and again, That's the point of the video. It's a marketing tool, and the marketing tool worked. Uh, Anyway, if you watched the video or at least heard the audio that I just played for you, I am curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, (laughs) This whole thing, I mean, it's pretty absurd when you think about it, but of course, this is part of the fun of this whole name change. Uh, To whatever extent the name change is fun, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. By the way, if you watch the video, uh, that does look like a very comfortable couch that Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew are sitting on. I'm guessing that that was in Jason Wright's office. That is a very nice office that the Washington football team's El Presidente is working in. The office of a high-level professional, like one of the great supporters of the Al Galdi podcast and a big Washington football team fan, Dr. Matthew Mintz. Dr. Mintz is an internal medicine and primary care physician who is rated as a top doctor by both Washingtonian and Bethesda magazines. If you need a regular doctor, he is accepting patients in his concierge practice. Dr. Mintz also offers something very special and groundbreaking in the treatment of depression called Spravato. So Spravato is a new FDA-approved medication shown to be safe and effective in patients with what is called treatment-resistant depression. You see, while most patients do respond to traditional prescription medications for depression, up to one-third of patients do not improve even after two or more medications. This is called treatment-resistant depression, which can be debilitating for patients, can lead to thoughts of suicide, even lead to suicide attempts. If you or someone you know is dealing with treatment-resistant depression, understand it doesn't have to be this way. Spravato is a nose spray administered in a doctor's office. Unlike most pills that can take weeks to work, Spravato can start working right after the first treatment. 
And because Spravato was approved by the FDA, Spravato is covered by most insurance companies. Dr. Mintz will work with your insurance company to make sure that Spravato is approved and understand that for most patients, the cost of each dose is only $10. Yeah, 10 bucks, totally worth it to get your life back. And for patients with Medicare, Medicaid, or Kaiser, or with an insurance that doesn't cover Spravato, Dr. Mintz is also able to administer nasal ketamine, a nose spray similar to Spravato, and that treatment should cost less than $10 per treatment, even without insurance. Spravato can only be administered in authorized healthcare settings. Dr. Matthew Mintz is one of the few physicians in the DMV who is authorized to administer Spravato in his private Bethesda office. Dr. Mintz and his staff will monitor you closely throughout your treatment to ensure your comfort and safety. You can find out more by going to drmintz.com. That's D-R-M-I-N-T-Z dot com and clicking on the Spravato link. But if you, a friend or a loved one, have depression that is not getting better with traditional treatments or medications, there's no need to continue to suffer. Contact Dr. Mintz to find out if Spravato may be right for you. You can call Dr. Mintz's office at 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure you mention this podcast, the Al Galdi Podcast, because doing so will get you $50 off your initial consultation. That phone number again, 855-646-8963. If you are suffering from treatment-resistant depression, you need suffer no more. Contact Dr. Matthew Mintz and tell him Al Galdi sent you. All right, a very interesting piece relevant to us as Washington football team fans came out on Monday. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB and SI.com puts out a Monday morning quarterback column each Monday. The column features Breer hitting on a variety of topics, but there's always a top topic, a lead topic. The lead topic in this week's Monday morning quarterback column is Ron Rivera. Breer spoke with Ron at length during Washington's trip to New England for the preseason opening 22-13 loss at the Patriots last Thursday night. And there were a number of interesting things that Ron said to Breer. So what has gotten a ton of attention is what Ron said to Breer about players getting vaccinated for COVID-19. As you likely know, Washington has had quite a surge in players getting vaccinated for COVID-19. It was on July 16th that we had multiple reports that Washington still had a COVID-19 player vaccination rate of less than 50%. But we on August 9th had multiple reports that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was at 86%. Quote, I had a player come to me when we first got back and were getting ready to go to camp, Rivera said. He came to me and he had a big smile and said, hey, coach, just got my second vaccine. I said, right on. He said, had to. Mama, new baby, got to. Coach, got to be careful for others. I said, that's great. Plus with that variant. He looked at me and said, what variant? I said, you know, the new Delta variant. You know about that. The player in question had no idea. Rivera asked if the player watches the news. The player said no and raised his phone to say, I get all my information from here which right there in a moment, Rivera recognized as the problem. Gen Z is relying on this, said Rivera, now holding up his phone. And you got some, quite frankly, effing a-holes that are putting a bunch of misinformation out there, leading people to die. That's frustrating to me, that these people are allowed to have a platform. And then one specific news agency, every time they have someone on, I'm not a doctor, (laughs) but the vaccines don't work. Or I'm not an epidemiologist, but vaccines are going to give you a third nipple and make you sterile. Come on. That to me, that should not be allowed. End quote. So uh, what seems pretty apparent (laughs) is that Ron is taking a shot at Fox News. Uh, I am not going to litigate this issue. I will say, though, That if you look at the actual data, you know, the actual facts of adults who aren't getting vaccinated for COVID-19, there is an extreme diversity, okay? The narrative that the only 
adults or even the majority of the adults in this country who aren't getting vaccinated for COVID-19 are, you know, angry white men, 45 and older, who shake their fists at the result of the presidential election last November and watch Tucker Carlson every night is just wrong. Okay, that idea is just wrong. Look at the data. Look at the facts. Adults not getting vaccinated for COVID-19 in this country come from all walks of life. White, black, Hispanic, old, young, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat. So I do want to make that point. But that was some powerful stuff there from Ron and made me laugh some of it because some of it was way over the top. But he's trying to make a point. Uh, There is a lot of misinformation out there about COVID-19 in general. The misinformation comes from all sides, okay? Not just one side, not just from one cable news channel. Uh, But that at least one of Ron's players had no idea about the Delta variant says a lot. You know, remember, maybe the most important reason to get vaccinated for COVID-19 is to prevent virus mutation, to prevent other variants from popping up. This, to me, is the aspect of getting vaccinated for COVID-19 that doesn't get emphasized enough. Like getting vaccinated for COVID-19 really isn't as much about protecting yourself and others. Like, yes, those things are part of the reason to get vaccinated for COVID-19. But we know that an overwhelming majority of people do just fine with COVID-19. Getting vaccinated for COVID-19 really is about shutting down the opportunity for this freaking thing to mutate so we can eradicate it once and for all. Uh, Ron, at his post-training camp practice press conference on Monday, got asked about his comments to Breer about getting vaccinated for COVID-19. Here's what Ron said. Well, I, I think the big thing, more so than anything else, is just, just the fact that, you know, where our country is. I mean, you, you get concerned that we're sliding backwards. And, you know, and, and just because when the vaccine started and you saw everything drop, you know, the infectious, everything was dropping. And then... Now, all of a sudden, it's like we got comfortable. We got to be careful to be comfortable. And that's one of the things I want to get across to our team. And it's also been kind of the theme that I've talked about as I talked about our team's maturity. We don't want to be comfortable. We want to make sure that we do the things that we need to do to take care of business. TCB, baby. TCB for the WFT. Also from Ron Rivera to Albert Breer, were new details about Ron's cancer. So Ron's cancer was squamous cell carcinoma. Quote, The form of skin cancer Rivera contracted is a result of the HPV virus. Doctors told Rivera that the virus could have been sitting dormant in his system for years. They couldn't say how long it'd been there for sure before causing the cancer. And also that if he were younger, he wouldn't have been at risk. That's because high schools and colleges now require the HPV vaccine, meaning that Because they've gotten, yes, a vaccine, the players he's begged to get vaccinated for COVID-19 aren't as at risk as he was to get the cancer he did. End quote. So I found that to be interesting. Some very personal details about the root cause of Rivera's cancer, but also a window into the mindset of why Rivera is so pro COVID-19 vaccine because Ron says, hey, if I was younger and I had gotten an HPV vaccine, then I would likely have not had to have dealt with this cancer. So that stood out to me. But to me, as a Washington football team fan, the most notable thing that Ron Rivera had to say to Albert Breer was a reveal about last season. We learned new details about how bad things got for Ron in his battle with cancer in the 2020 season. Quote, there was October 6th. That morning, he went through treatment and Stephanie, and that would be Stephanie Rivera, Ron's wife, drove him to the facility. When they pulled into his parking spot, he told his wife, I can't get out of the car. You guys got to help me. So she pulled the car around to the back of the building where head athletic trainer Ryan Vermillion helped Stephanie carry him out of the car into the facility. Rivera could see the looks on the faces of the players there, about 25 to 30 of them on player's day off, which he read as, this dude looks bad. He wound up going home and sleeping from morning into the 6 p.m. hour, at which point Stephanie got worried and tried to wake him up. She wound up getting Washington's team doctor, Anthony Casalero, 
on the phone. And in Rivera's words, Casalero basically read me the riot act. Stephanie got some bone broth that ex-Panthers running back Jonathan Stewart had sent his former coach out of the fridge, made chicken noodle soup, and Rivera, down 40 pounds at that point, forced himself to eat it. It was the first time I'd eaten that much. It was the first time I'd slept that much, Rivera said, and things just start to roll. From that point on, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I really could. End quote. Very powerful stuff. Very real stuff. I mean, anyone who has dealt with cancer or dealt with someone who has dealt with cancer can certainly relate to what Ron said there. Ron really opened up to Albert Breer. But I want you to consider that date, October 6th, 2020. That was the apparent physical low point for Ron in his battle with cancer. October 6, 2020 was two days after Washington fell to 1-3 and three with a 31-17 loss to the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field. Do you remember the significance of that game? I'm sure you do. That was the game after which Dwayne Haskins reportedly celebrated throwing for more than 300 yards even though Washington lost. The day after October 6th, which was, again, the apparent physical low point for Ron in his battle with cancer, was, obviously, October 7th. That day was the one-year anniversary of Washington firing Jay Gruden, but that day also was the day on which Ron benched Dwayne Haskins as Washington's starting quarterback in favor of Kyle Allen and promoted Alex Smith to QB2, rendering Dwayne as QB3. Hard to ignore the coincidence, right? October 6th, apparent physical low point for Ron in his battle with cancer. October 7th, Ron benches Dwayne and demotes him to QB3. Now, you might be saying, well, Goldie, what's your point with all this? Well, my point is only to highlight the timing, which, by the way, Breer doesn't at all note in his column. What I think happened is Ron was struggling physically. The team was struggling. Dwayne was struggling and not putting in the requisite work. Ron hit his physical low point, took his nap until the 6 p.m. hour, and then started to make some real changes. And those changes included him taking better care of himself. Those changes also included a change at quarterback, which he had been considering. I don't think that Ron all of a sudden on October 6th entertained the idea of benching Dwayne. I think that that already was well in the works. But I wouldn't be surprised if Ron hitting this physical low point prompted him to make the change at quarterback. Because something that was always kind of curious about Ron's benching of Dwayne after week four was that the benching came then and not after week three. You know, Dwayne wasn't great in that loss to the Ravens at FedEx Field in week four, but he also wasn't terrible in that game. Dwayne was much worse in the previous game, week three. Washington fell to one and two with a 34-20 loss at the Cleveland Browns. Dwayne was terrible in that game. He went just 21 to 37 for 224 yards. That's 6.05 yards per pass attempt. Did have two touchdown passes, but he also had three interceptions and took three sacks, including a sack strip loss fumble. He also was charged with another fumble. The Browns scored 24 points off Dwayne's four turnovers, including 21 points off Dwayne's three interceptions. If Ron was considering benching Dwayne, why didn't Ron bench Dwayne after that loss at the Browns? Well, perhaps now we have a better understanding of why the benching happened after the loss to the Ravens at FedEx Field. A, Dwayne wasn't putting in the necessary work and was doing things like celebrating throwing for more than 300 yards after a loss. B, Dwayne's play wasn't justifying the lack of work. C, Washington was one and three, but also D, Ron realized that it was time to make some changes for both himself and his team. I think that all of these things came together. Now, I still think that the benching of Dwayne, his first benching of last season, uh, was primarily about him not putting in the necessary work and his play not justifying the lack of work. But what was going on with Ron, you know, him at that point essentially being sick and tired of being sick and tired may well have been a part of the benching as well. I mean, as Ron said to Breer, quote, and things just start to roll 
From that point on, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I really could, end quote. You know, whenever we get more information on key events of the past, I think it's worth examining that information so we can better understand what has happened. Like, yes, Dwayne Haskins is long gone by now. But also, yes, I think the details of last season do matter. You want to have a full and complete comprehension of the major inflection points of the season. And what Ron revealed to Breer does provide more context to one of the biggest occurrences of last Washington football team season, Ron benching Dwayne and demoting him to QB3 after just four games. A full report on Washington's training camp practice on Monday, including a good day for both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Benjamin St. Juice is coming up after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We continue with the Washington football team conversation. Preseason game number two for the Washington football team is this Friday night. The Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field, 8 o'clock start. Bengals starting quarterback Joe Burrow will not play in the game. So said Bengals head coach Zach Taylor on Monday. Of course, it was at Washington that Burrow got hurt last season. Week 11, Washington improved to 3-7 and seven with a 29-win over the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field. Burrow suffering a torn left ACL and MCL in being hit by Jonathan Allen. So we on Monday had a Washington football team training camp practice in the rain. Uh, yes, Washington's team facility in Ashburn does have an indoor practice facility, a.k.a. the bubble, but Ron Rivera on Monday opted not to practice in the bubble. Ron at his post-practice press conference on Monday on why he had his team practice in the rain. Well, because the conditions may, you know, that, that's what it may be. And that's the biggest thing we, we got to do and get an opportunity to take advantage. I mean, it was a light enough rain that we could have gotten good work in if it had stayed that way. Um, uh, the other thing, too, is, you know, the field conditions were excellent. I mean, they really were. Uh, you guys didn't see anybody really slip or fall out there. And, you know, again, that's, that, that's great that we have the new field with the new drainage and, and we were able to practice out there. Yes, the fields at Washington football team headquarters. Uh, Those fields have been redone, just like the field at FedEx Field has been redone. First major reconstruction of FedEx Field's grass surface since the stadium opened in 1997. Think about that. You know, Washington had resodded the field at FedEx Field in recent seasons, but the grass surface reconstruction was the first of its kind since FedEx Field opened in 1997. 97. So if you're a longtime fan of the team, now known as the Washington football team, you perhaps remember that embracing bad weather was a Joe Gibbs specialty. Coach Joe used to refer to bad weather as Redskins weather. (laughs) Yes, Joe. Hello, Joe. I love the Joe Gibbs laugh. (laughs) Yes. 
How can you not laugh along with that laugh? That laugh is so infectious. The classic Joe Gibbs laugh. Anyway, Rod on Monday on why it was important for him to have his team practice in the rain on Monday. It is about a mentality. And that's, I think, part of why you come out and you practice and the type of stuff is, you know, the truth is you're going to play in these elements. And as the saying goes, you got to learn to be comfortable when you're uncomfortable. And that's a little bit of what we try to create today. Now, uh, Washington practicing in the rain on Monday did impact Curtis Samuel, who Washington on Sunday finally activated off the active, physically unable to perform list. He had not practiced at all during training camp due to a groin injury and uh, also due to a stint on the reserve COVID-19 list. And Samuel on Monday was not a full participant in practice as Ron did not want to risk anything with Samuel's groin. Ron on Samuel's status on Monday. That was because of the weather. That had nothing to do with anything else other than we just didn't want to expose him to doing positional stuff in, 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 in this situation. And even though the field is good, we just didn't want to chance it. All right. In terms of who had a particularly good practice on Monday, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And can't you just see him being the kind of guy who embraces playing in bad weather, embraces playing in the slop? Uh, right on Monday on Fitzpatrick getting increasingly comfortable with Washington's offense. As, as we continue to progress and you see him get more and more comfort um, with his teammates out there on the field competing, um, you know, it's, it's what you're hoping for. It's what you're looking to, to see as, as we're out here practicing is that development, that rapport that he has with the, with the guys on the field with them. And in what specific ways is Ron seeing Fitzpatrick's comfort level with this offense rising? Well, I see him throwing the ball a couple times well before the uh, receiver's where he needs to be, knowing the receiver's going to get there. Um, you know, I, I see him, you know, looking at guys and, and, and knowing where to lead them, you know, in terms of uh, the route options that they're running. And so you see that, and it's a little bit of the trust, because what happens when, that, when that's developed is you see, you see guys know that, hey, he's going to throw me away from the coverage. He's going to throw me away from my leverage side, and they're anticipating those things. Look, we'll see what Ryan Fitzpatrick ends up being this season. I mean, I am entirely aware that he could end up being a giant flop. I get that. But I just think there's a lot to like about Ryan Fitzpatrick. His three best NFL seasons have been his last three seasons. This guy has a comfort with himself, a comfort with his ability to play the quarterback position that you rarely see a person graduate to. He's obviously a smart guy. He went to Harvard. He's been in the NFL forever. He's going into his 17th season. And he's got nothing to lose. You know, this is not going to be a season in which he's having to look over his shoulder and play with all this pressure on himself. Like, I don't know, maybe Taylor Heineke does end up starting some games for Washington this coming season. As I've said, Washington should be open to Taylor Heineke becoming the QB1 at some point. But I just get the sense with Fitzpatrick, you know, he never should have had the career he's having. And he's just going to go out there and chuck it because that's what this guy does. He is a chucker. He is an aggressive downfield thrower of the football, the likes of which Washington has not had in a very long time. There's a reason his nickname is Yolo Fitz. And Washington very much needs a Yolo type quarterback. And Fitzpatrick, if nothing else, is going to provide that this coming season. While we're talking Washington quarterbacks, so Monday was day two in the return of Kyle Allen, of him having not fully practiced since aggravating his surgically repaired left ankle on July 31st at Washington's final 2021 training camp practice in Richmond. Ron on Monday on how Kyle is doing. There's a lot of positives. You know, the, the nice thing is yesterday he started out slow and rusty. By the end of the day, he had a, he had a nice last drive, um, which was really good to see. Today he did a couple of nice things. We got down in the red zone. He did a couple of nice things as well there. Um, forced one at the end of practice. But, you know, you, you see him coming back, getting into form again. Uh, he's got a lot of rust to knock off. If he's healthy and well enough and ready to roll, I should say if, he'll, if, he's, if he's ready, we'll, we'll play him in the preseason game on Friday. And what about the thing that Ron brought up shortly before Kyle aggravated the surgically repaired left ankle. Kyle potentially being a part of that from which he had been excluded, the quarterback competition, to whatever extent that exists. Can Kyle make the competition a three-way battle? Or, at this point, is the focus with Kyle just about him being healthy? I think it's about getting healthy right now, first and foremost, and getting back into form. Uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, like I said, if, if he's everything's falling in place nicely for him, we'll play him on Friday. 
And you wonder which of the other three quarterbacks might see his playing time most drastically reduced in preseason game number two as compared to preseason game number one if, in fact, Kyle Allen plays against the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field on Friday night. Also having a very good practice on Monday was Benjamin St. Juice, who made maybe the play of Washington training camp so far, a one-handed end zone interception of a Ryan Fitzpatrick pass intended for Terry McLaurin. That was something else. The hops of Benjamin St. Juice were on display. As yes, we continue on this podcast to likey the juice. You like the juice, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's good. The juice is good, eh? Yes, we likey the juice. Now, I'm not sure if Fitzpatrick and McLaurin likey the juice after that play on Monday, but what a job by Benjamin St. Juice. Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Monday on the potential ceiling for Benjamin St. Juice. You know, I think he can continue to grow and get better. I really do. I think he's just scratching the surface uh, because of his skill set, because of his length and size. Um, he's a different type of corner. It, it, and, 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 and I've said this before, and I don't say this lightly, a lot of his early skills, because I was fortunate enough to be around Charles Tillman early in his career and then later in his career, but a lot of his early skills, um, I see a little bit of that in Ben Juice. I, I really do. I, I think Benjamin is a, is a guy that um, really has an opportunity to grow and become something really solid in this league. <laughs> I like how Ron calls Benjamin St. Juice, Ben Juice. Ben Juice. Yeah, Ben Juice. I'm not going to say that whole name. That's a complicated name, Benjamin St. Juice. He's Ben Juice. He's Benny Juice to me. He's Benny Huego to me. Uh, So Ron again makes the Charles Tillman comp for Ben Juice. Charles Tillman played for the Chicago Bears from 2003 to 2014 and then for the Carolina Panthers in 2015. Ron knows Charles Tillman well. Ron was the Bears defensive coordinator from 2004 through 2006, and of course was the Panthers head coach in 2015, and 2015 was the season in which Carolina won the NFC title. Tillman in his career had 38 regular season interceptions, including eight pick sixes. Charles Tillman is one of the best defensive playmakers in the NFL over the last 20 years, maybe the best defensive playmaker in the NFL over the last 20 years. This is a big-time compliment. Ron continually comping Ben Juice to Charles Tillman. Ben Juice. Yes, Ben Juice. Although Ron seems to be saying Ben Juiced. Ron seems to be pronouncing the T toward the end of Benjamin's last name. For the record, the Washington football team does put out an official pronunciation guide for players and coaches' names, and Benjamin's last name is to be pronounced, per the team, St. Juice. Uh, Now, what has been especially interesting about St. Juice so far in training camp is that we have been seeing him on the field for a lot of nickel looks in which he and William Jackson III are on the outside and Kendall Fuller is on the inside. Jimmy Moreland, who was Washington's primary nickel corner in the 2020 season, may well end up being the odd man out here. But of course, Fuller is no stranger to the slot. That's really how we first came to know Kendall Fuller as a Washington player. Washington took Fuller, who went to Good Counsel High School in the third round of the 2016 NFL Draft out of Virginia Tech. Remember with Fuller, he was considered a potential first-round talent, but he fell in the draft due to having undergone microfracture surgery on his right knee while at Virginia Tech in September 2015. Now, Fuller had a shaky 2016 rookie season, but the knee held up. He gained a lot of experience, and Fuller in 2017 blossomed into an excellent slot corner. Kendall Fuller's overall grade for the 2017 regular season for Pro Football Focus was 90.6. That is outstanding. Kendall Fuller was ranked as the number one slot defender for the 2017 season by Bleacher Report's NFL 1000. And according to ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, quote, one Washington player said that Kendall Fuller graded out as team's best defensive player, end quote, for the 2017 season. Now, Washington, of course, in March 2018, officially traded Kendall Fuller and a third-round pick in the 2018 NFL Draft to the Kansas City Chiefs for quarterback Alex Smith. But Washington, of course, in March 2020, signed Fuller as an unrestricted free agent. Four-year, 40 
million contract. Ron on Monday on Fuller in the slot. He's got a very savvy player, a guy with a lot of experience at that position uh, with, with, with some really good ball skills. Um, it, it's been really good to watch him and see exactly you know where he fits in, in the scheme of things for us. Um, not just as, 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 as our outside corner, but as a guy that can move inside potentially and help us there as well. Also going on with Washington's secondary is the acclamation of William Jackson III to the defense. Washington and March signing Jackson to a three-year $40.5 million contract as an unrestricted free agent. He has said that he is getting used to playing more zone in Ron's and Jack Del Rio's scheme. This off having especially excelled in playing man for the Cincinnati Bengals. But as I have pointed out, William Jackson III is more than capable of doing well in zone coverage. Ron on Monday on balancing having Jackson play Washington's defense with having Jackson do what made him worthy of that contract to begin with. It's, it's by the calls. You know, when, 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 you know, we have a certain call out there, we're asking for a certain technique. It, it, that might be the technique that's a little bit new to him or, or not. He didn't use as much. Uh, and we call another call. Now all of a sudden he's back into the technique that he has. You know what I'm saying? We play a little bit more through the eyes through the receiver to the quarterback, okay. Whereas in a lot of the man coverage techniques, his back is to the to the quarterback. He's used to that. We're trying to teach him and get him to understand that with those eyes, you know, with his abilities, and you you you're playing with vision, you have a few more opportunities to make plays on the ball. And is Ron seeing Jackson make progress? When you see it, you see it's impressive. You see because of his abilities to to, to make plays on the ball, you see him make those plays. And it's just a matter of getting comfortable in that system. It's going to take a few more reps, a few more practices, a few more preseason games. But we're confident this young man is going to fit exactly and very well into what we do. Something else that came up during Ron's post-practice press conference on Monday, the Dustin Hopkins situation, more specifically, the timing problem on field goals. So Hopkins, as you probably know by now, went 0 for 2 on field goals in Washington's Preseason opening loss at the Pats last Thursday night. Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference, said that, quote, there's not a concern, end quote, about Hopkins. Ron has indicated that he's sticking with Hopkins as Washington's kicker. Also has said that this is a new operation that needs work. Well, there's only one part of the operation that's new. Hopkins has been Washington's kicker for years. Tress Way has been Washington's holder for years. The new part of the operation is the long snapper, the cheese man, Cameron Cheeseman, on whom Washington spent a 2021 six-round draft pick, which Washington traded for. Don't forget that. Rod on Monday, on what stands out to him in terms of the timing for Washington's new kicking operation? Yeah, I think because, you know, when you watch Cheese snap the ball, he snaps it with a lot of velocity. And the ball gets there in a hurry. And I think because it gets there in a hurry, I think, you know, we kind of feel that and it speeds up our process. You know what I'm saying? So we have a little bit more time because the ball's getting back there quicker as opposed to, you know, it, it getting there at a normal velocity. I mean, this cheese throws it back with some, some, some heat on it. And that to me kind of speeds things up. So it's something we're working through. It's something, you know, I believe it will get down. And as I said, I'm not too concerned. All right. Ron's not too concerned. Hopefully he's proven right on that. The cheese snaps with velocity. The cheese snaps with some heat. Cameron Cheeseman is the uh, Josh Hader of NFL long snappers. Who knew? Uh, Ron then had this follow-up exchange with Washington football team insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. Fix then for cheese to slow down or for Hopkins to speed up? No, I I wouldn't say speed up. See, that's, that's the wrong concept. Okay, that's the wrong idea. It's just learning to get used to the ball, getting back there like that, as opposed to being a little bit a little bit slower. Okay, see what I'm saying? There's, so there's a rhythm up there. Now all of a sudden that ball's back there, and, and, and now it's like, I got to hurry. No, we stay through the motion. We keep the timing. His timing is fine. It's just a matter of getting used to when that ball is being put on the ground. When you watch it on tape and you, and you pull out your, your stopwatch, you go, holy, you know, you, you, it's impressive that the velocity it gets back there with Well, Ron is defending his guy, the cheese man. Uh, That seems pretty obvious. Again, Washington didn't just spend a draft pick on Cheeseman. Washington traded for that draft pick. Ron wanted himself 
some cheese, man. We'll see if Don Ron is proven right on that one. You know, Ron was proven right on many things last season, so I'm willing to give him a benefit of the doubt. As you likely know, I am skeptical about having spent a draft choice on a long snapper, let alone a draft choice that you traded for, but we'll see. Maybe the cheese man ends up being an excellent long snapper for years to come. He does snap with velocity. Uh, That much we do know. And one more item from Ron on Monday. He did give us another installment of the phrase that pays. Ron got asked about James Smith-Williams and said the following. I think James done a nice job. James is a guy that gives us a little bit of, uh, and I know I say it, but a little bit of possession flex because he's a guy that can also play the three technique for us as well as play a, you know, a, a true defensive end. Um, I like what he's doing. I like his growth. And you see that he's, he's in position to, to grow even more. So, again, he's just continued to keep competing like he has. And, uh, you know, we really do like what we're seeing. All right. So how about that? A little bit of self-deprecation from Ron Rivera, laughing at himself, poking fun at himself for always saying position flex. James is a guy that gives us a little bit of, uh, and I know I say it, but a little bit of possession flex. Yeah, I love that. Good for Ron. You know, there's nothing more endearing than self-deprecation. So that Ron engaged in some self-deprecation on Monday was a good thing. All right, so on Monday's show, episode 123 referenced that glorious night in September 2014 when on the same night, the Nationals clinched the National League East and the Orioles clinched the American League East. Now, I grew up as an Orioles fan because there was no major league team in D.C. when I was growing up. I still am an Orioles fan, but I root for both teams. I want each team to do well. My dream World Series is an Orioles-Nationals. World Series. That actually was plausible in 2014. And of course, a lot has changed since then. Now, the Nats, of course, did win the 2019 World Series, but now have fallen on very hard times and are having a nightmare of a 2021 season. The O's are maybe the worst team in the majors. And so, with still a month and a half left in this regular season, we are forced to focus on younger players and prospects instead of the standings. But when it comes to prospects, Something very significant came out on Monday. Baseball America on Monday came out with the publication's rankings of all 30 farm systems. The Nationals rated as having the number 23 farm system in baseball. The Orioles rated as having the number two farm system in baseball. So with the Nats, no, number 23 is not great, but that is better than being last which is where the Nats had been widely viewed to be prior to their sell-off in late July. And understand this, Baseball America also ranked the Nats as having four of the top 100 prospects in baseball. That's good. Four of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Catcher Cabert Ruiz, number 13. Starter Cade Cavalli, number 23. Starter Josiah Gray, number 54. And shortstop slash third baseman Brady House, number 86. Brady House is the guy who the Nats just took with the number 11 overall pick in the 2021 MLB draft. Now, not ranked among the top 100 prospects in baseball, starter Jackson Rutledge. He's dealt with injury and some ineffectiveness so far this year, but he's still someone who could end up panning out. So, you know, that is good. Now, the reason that the Nats are number 23, despite having four of the top 100 prospects in baseball, is because this is a top-heavy system. There's not a lot of depth to the Nationals farm system right now. And if not for the big sell-off, right, the trading away of eight players for 12 prospects, of course, the headline trade, trading Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Los Angeles Dodgers for a package of four prospects that included two of the guys who end up being two of the Nats' four top 100 prospects, catcher Cabert Ruiz and starter Josiah Gray. Who knows where the Nats would be? So that sell-off was an absolute must. And, you know, it's frightening to think about how bad things would be for the Nationals because I don't think the record would be that much better had the Nats not engaged in the sell-off. And the Nats would probably have the worst farm system in the sport, if not for that sell-off. And then with the Orioles, I mean, this is something else, okay? And for those of you who are O's fans and cannot stand all of the losing and cannot stand the rebuilding and tanking approach that Mike Elias is taking, well, hopefully this farm system ranking makes it feel better. Orioles, number two farm system in baseball. 
Baseball America this past January ranked the O's as having the number seven farm system in all of baseball. That ranking had been the Orioles' highest such ranking in 37 years. Now the O's are up to number two. The O's over Baseball America's last three farm system rankings have gone from number 12 to number seven to number two. That, my friends, is progress. And the O's per Baseball America have two of the top 10 prospects in baseball and four of the top 100 prospects in baseball. The O's have the top position player prospect in baseball and have the top pitching prospect in baseball. So catcher Adley Rutschman, of course, per Baseball America, is the number one prospect in baseball. Yes, the O's have the number one prospect in baseball, but if you follow this stuff, you're not surprised by that. Adley Rutschman is a freak of nature. He just recently got promoted to AAA Norfolk. He has everything going for him that you could realistically want. The guy is profiling like a megastar. O's took Rutschman with the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of Oregon State. There's not a single player in the Orioles organization who offers the hope that Adley Rutschman offers. And then there's Grayson Rodriguez, the starting pitcher. He, per Baseball America, is the number nine prospect in baseball and the number one pitching prospect in baseball. O's took Rodriguez with the number 11 overall pick in the 2018 MLB draft. Another starting pitcher, D.L. Hall, came in, per Baseball America, as the number 43 prospect in baseball. O's took Hall with the number 21 overall pick in the 2017 MLB draft. Now, there is some concern now with D.L. Hall. Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias in a virtual press conference on July 30th said that Hall was likely to miss the rest of this season due to a stress reaction in his left elbow. So we'll see what happens with that. And then shortstop slash third baseman Gunnar Henderson per Baseball America is the number 85 prospect in baseball. O's took Henderson in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft. Now, not ranked on Baseball America's list of the top 100 prospects is outfielder Heston Kerstad. Uh, the O's took Kerstad with the number two overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft, but this has been a rough year for him. He's dealt with myocarditis, so that's scary, and you don't know where things are at with him. So, you know, it's not all roses with these Orioles prospects, but number two farm system in baseball, two of the top 10 prospects in baseball, number one position playing prospect in baseball, number one pitching prospect in baseball. That's pretty good. I mean, it's hard to be upset with those things if you're an Orioles fan. I have had a mantra that I have espoused when it comes to the Orioles rebuilding and tanking approach. Pain now, pleasure later. Pain now, pleasure later. Hopefully, this farm system ranking, again, Orioles number two in baseball, offers some reason to believe that the pleasure will be coming later because the pain sure is in effect right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are no two ways about that. Uh, Nats did not play on Monday. They, on Tuesday night, begin a two-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays at Nationals Park. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05, Eric Fetty will start for the Nats. And then game two, Wednesday afternoon at 4.05, Josiah Gray will start for the Nats. But for the Orioles, they did play on Monday night and they got smashed again, a 9-2 loss at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays. The Orioles now have lost 12 consecutive games. The O's, during this 12-game losing streak, have been outscored 113-36, and the O's now are an American League-worst 38-79. and Yes, 41 games below 500, with a Major League-worst run differential of minus 208. The only thing worth talking about from this game is this bizarre pattern that continues for Matt Harvey. So Matt Harvey has been all over the place this season for the Orioles. He actually started off fairly well. Then he was atrocious, so much so that I thought the Orioles should have just cut the guy. Then he went on this absurd scoreless inning streak that came out of nowhere. And now he's in this pattern of he starts off his starts well and then unravels. Matt Harvey on Monday night for a third consecutive start began the outing well and then fell apart. He ultimately did not do well. He allowed five runs in four and two-thirds innings, gave up five hits, two homers, a triple, and two singles, issued a walk and a hit by pitch, did have six strikeouts. But Harvey tossed three scoreless innings. Again, good start to his start. And then came the rest of the start. He allowed two runs in the bottom of the fourth on a leadoff five-pitch walk, a G-man Choi, a full-count single by Manuel Margot. 
despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. And then the big blow, a first pitch two-run triple by Austin Meadows. And then Harvey was charged with three runs in the bottom of the fifth, during which he gave up two solo homers and a single. But this marked a third consecutive start in which Harvey initially was good, but then was not good. A 10-3 loss at the New York Yankees on August 4th. Two runs in four innings, but the two runs came in the bottom of the fourth. The first run was scored with one out in the bottom of the fourth, so it was actually in that start that Harvey got his scoreless hitting streak up to 21 and two-thirds. Then in the 5-2 loss to the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Wednesday night, Harvey three runs in five innings. He tossed four into third scoreless innings before giving up three runs in the top of the fifth on a homer, two doubles, and a walk. Game two for the O's at the Rays, Tuesday night at 7-10. John Means will start for the O's. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 125. As yes, we'll reach being a quarter of the way to episode 200 since episode 100. That's amazing to me. It feels like we just did episode 100. Now we're about to be 25 shows in the trek to episode 200. I just can't get over that. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, But we'll, of course, on Wednesday's show, do much more on the Washington football team, as well as discuss the latest on the Nationals and the Orioles. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. So the the three that we'll go through are... I like I really like That's really good.